Welcome to Core 242 Podcast, brought to you by Core Community Covenant Church. Now let's dive into the Word of God with Pastor Max and Pastor Trish. Deuteronomy chapter 6, starting in verse 4 and 5. And again, this is also a reference to Mark chapter 12, uh, verses 29 through 30. So you can read it in either place, because when Jesus speaks this in Mark, he's referencing Deuteronomy. Oh, okay. I'll read it. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And then I'll read the one from Mark as well, just so you can have it as a comparison. The most important one Jesus answered is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Amen. Amen. So today we're focusing, last time we met, we focused on, on, the, on the word Shema. Hear, O Israel, right? Shema, O Israel. Hear, O Israel. And we talked about how the hear part is not just hearing it, but also listening to the words of what it has to say and following what the words that you hear. So we really uh, pushed that because it was very important for Israelites to hear that because they just received, um, they had just received the Ten Commandments, and then they've been living their lives. Right? We have after after uh, Exodus where they re- they received received the Ten Commandments. Then we we also have Leviticus and Numbers where you see them falling away very quickly. At one point in Numbers, they started worshiping the God of Baal, 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 thank you. The God of Baal already, and they had to get punished um, because of that. So that you see them walking away. And once again, here, here's Moses in, De- in Deuteronomy, the first five chapters, I'm sorry, the first, the first, yeah, the first five chapters, he's talking and reminding them, hey, this is what we've gone through. The first five chapters are talking from the beginning of Exodus, them leaving Egypt, and all everything that's happening. And then the, the chapter previous to the Shema, chapter 5, he, taught, he again reminds them about the Ten Commandments and the importance of it. So now he's again, Shema, listen. You haven't been listening. You haven't been obeying. So you need to listen. And again, this, that's why it's, it's such a big um, announcement, Shema. Here or Israel. And then the first thing that he has to remind them is Yahweh, right? We talked about when we see Lord, all capital letters, it's the word Yahweh, the actual name of God. We don't know how to pronounce it, but to us, Yahweh is the closest that we can, that we, we can hold on to that. Yahweh is our God. He is our God. Yahweh is one. And I, I, as, as we're preparing for this, I really love, there, there's, a, there's a pastor that talked about this. And the way he tw- he twisted it, I, I don't know how biblical it was, but I, I loved the the meaning behind it, where he said Yahweh is God, Yahweh is one. And when he said one, he's like he's like I'm not saying that God is the only God there is, because we, God in the scriptures, God Himself says, don't follow those other gods. So He acknowledges that there are other gods, but He says, me, I'm your God, I'm the one for you. And when He said that. He said, uh, what, what, the example he used, he's like, my wife, I say she's the one. I'm not saying that she's the only woman in the world, but she's the one for me. I adore her. I love her. And that's how he wants 
us to look at our God. That yes, there's many gods out there that we can follow and that we can get confused, but He, Yahweh, He should be that one that you're gonna love, the one that you're gonna care for, you one that you're gonna obey. He's the one, even though there's so many others. We're gonna follow Him and Him alone, and He's the only one that that showed why we would we should follow Him. And before before the Israelites got their Ten Commandments. He reminded them why he should be their God. He says, I was the one who took you out of Egypt. So let's follow. You guys did nothing. You guys have done nothing. I was the one who took you out of Egypt. You didn't have to follow any commandments for me to do that. I was the one who provided for you, carried you out, provided for you that, that you, your first child would be safe. All those things. I did that for you. You had, didn't have to do anything. That's why I'm your God. So today, when we're going to talk about, we want to remind you guys again why God, Yahweh, is your God. Why he should be the only God in your life. And the first thing that we want to remind him that the reason he is our God or should be your God is because he loved us first. He loved us. First John 4.19 makes it very simple. First John 4.19 makes this huge statement. In the small verse, it says, we love because he first loved us. He loved because he first loved us. And how did he love? In the same chapter, in in, uh, 1 John 4, verse 10, it says, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as atoning sacrifice for our sin." Again, not because we loved him. He loved us first, and he did that for us. That's why we look at him and see that, that, that love that we have. It's not, we want to be following him. We want to we observe his laws, not because we have to, not because he is holy. There is judgment that's coming. He is just, and we, we should, you know... Keep our cues and whatever other you have to do. Dot our eyes and cross our teeth. Yeah, do all that stuff. Mind your P's and Q's. That's That's what I wanted to say. But we should do that out of love because he loved us so much. We just can't help ourselves to love him and obey him the same way. That's that's the whole point in that. And Isaiah, Isaiah 54, he, he talks even more about this love. So Isaiah 54 verse 10 says this, though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. Mm-hmm. So we see here in this verse that God's love is so steadfast, is so unmovable, that even though the, earth, the heavens and the earth will pass away, his love will never pass away. That's how faithful he is to us. And so, you know, going back to the Shema, we see that God is creating a covenant with his people. The Ten Commandments were a sign of the covenant. When he gives them the law, that was part of the covenant that he was making with his people. And the Shema, we we talked about this before, how the Shema is a prayer that is so fundamental to the Jewish faith. They actually call it the witness. It's their their testifying. It's like the thing that they say to, to show that their commitment and their faith in God. And... We, when we read this, the, the part that was uh, challenging to us 
is that the way this line that we're looking at today, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, has traditionally been interpreted is very straightforward, monotheistic, Mm -hmm. Yahweh is God, Yahweh is one. There's only one God, there's no other gods. And the thing that where this has gotten off the rails is that in the traditional understanding from the Jewish faith, they understood that there were other gods. Mm -hmm. In the New Testament, we discover those other gods are actually demons, Mm -hmm. which is why God warns us not to follow them. But throughout the Old Testament, there was an acknowledgement that there were other gods. So we can't take this verse literally to mean there's only one God. Although we we read in the first commandment that he is the Lord our God, and we shall have no other gods before him, right? So he is alone. Instead of saying one, he alone is our God. He's the only God that we should worship. Mm And so even in a Jewish understanding of the faith, there was a mysterious uh, presence of God that he could, be, he could be in multiple places at once. He showed himself in different forms, and they didn't understand this mystery. Now, when this verse became really uh, legalistic was actually um, after the, the death and resurrection of Jesus, and as Christians began to proclaim the faith, and especially as they began to share teachings, which ultimately became known as the Trinity, right? Which is a mystery that we can't explain that the three become, you know, the three are one, um, that there's only one God, but that he, he has three persons in one essence. And, and this was where we, this text became a challenge to us mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. this can very easily digress into a discussion trying to explain the Trinity. It can become, and that, first of all, <coughs> was a challenge because it can be a sermon series in and of itself. Yep. Completely. I mean, and, it, and on top of it, there's been scholars through millennia who have tried to debate and figure this out and encapsulate it. But the heart of this teaching, of this series that we are, and this is why we felt God put this on our heart, because that's where we were wrestling for weeks. But this week, God showed us that what he's saying here, because of the way the commandment follows, which is love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your strength, is that God is actually speaking here that where he says that he is one, he's saying, I am your God, meaning that I, that I am a personal God that belongs to you, and I am the only one for you. And so it's this profession that God loved us first. And because God loved us first, we should love him in return. So looking at that, we have uh, where we want to go with the sermon today is that there's a number of ways that God showed his love for us first. Mm -hmm. And of course, because I love to do this, they're all C's. So that's pretty fun. (laughs) She was really really excited about it. I'm sure there's many, many more ways that God showed his love for us and many, many more ways that he showed that he loved us first, that he took the first initiative. But we came up with, was there seven? Seven. Right? You seven. like seven. number seven. <laughs> seven. Seven is the number of completion. Yeah. And, and, and again, just, just to emphasize, the struggle that we had with, with this whole Trinity thing, we, we studied, we read, we listened to number of commentaries and sermons and teachers about this and all of them echoed after the end of their stays of and i still cannot grasp it It, it's just one of those things every theologian that as we were reading about them they they wrote like a 500 page book about it and at the end he's like but i still can't grasp it and And that doesn't mean it's not true yeah because we can testify that not only is there there were so many scriptures that we came across that testify to this truth. That So even if the word Trinity is not in the Bible, God has revealed himself in so many ways. And mm-hmm. um, the first way that God showed his love for us also shows how the Trinity was present even in this moment in the beginning um, in creation. So we look at Genesis 1. The first way that God loved us was that he created us. Yeah. And, and we, we talk about that 
in his in his creation um how he showed us our love was that when he created it in genesis chapter 1 verse 31 um it ends with this simple thing god saw all that he had made and it was very good and there was evening and there was morning the sixth day so when he thought of us as he created this world for us it wasn't just good it was very good it, it was it was this wonderful thing and uh, and very good is gonna the word very is gonna come again at, at our next teaching but it was it was just something so much better because all of us was there we were created the animals are created the earth was created the ocean everything was created and it was very good right so we see in creation just because I, I highlighted this and I don't want you all to miss it in Genesis 1 1 and 2 it says in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth now the earth was formless and empty darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters and God said let there be light and there was light so I just want to point out in this where we where we do see that God is one and he's mentioned as God here but you see the different persons of the Trinity playing out first of all God being God the Father created everything but then you see the Holy Spirit hovering over the waters and then God said, and he created everything through his word. And we know from John 1, 1, that in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So Jesus is the word made flesh. So even in the very first couple of verses of scripture, we see evidence of the three persons of the Trinity at work. And again, this isn't a sermon about that, because we really feel that this series is meant to talk about the greatest commandment, which is that God loves us, and so we should love him in return. But I, I wanted to highlight that because we were, I mean, this, this verse, you can't really pass over this verse without making an acknowledgement of the reality because the Trinity is something that our entire faith hinges on. If you don't, if you don't embrace the theology of the Trinity, then that's what defines whether you're Orthodox or not. Mm -hmm. um, Mormons do not believe in the divinity of Christ. Uh, Jehovah's Witnesses don't. And that's really the dividing line. We can disagree on a lot of things, but once you, once you have a differing view on the Godhead, you have ventured outside the boundaries of what is considered true Christianity. Yeah. So the first way that God shows his love for us is that he created us. Did you want to do that? Yeah. And then the other thing that's, uh, it's amazing that it's right away Genesis chapter 3. We're going to be looking at verse 14 and 15. So this is right after the fall of man where the sin enters into, into the world. And sadly, the man chooses their own ways instead of God's ways. But we see the, God's love for us because he already has a plan for us. I mean, he's, he had plans from the beginning, but we see this, this proof is in verse 14 as he speaks to the serpent. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. So in this point, he loved us so much, we just screwed up. They just screwed up. Like, it's right here. <laughs> it's, it's a couple of verses before. We, we just chose our will, our will instead of his will. And God sees that. And even though there's such a, he, he should have just kind of washed his hands from us. But no, he's like, I have a plan. I have a plan that your head serpent you liar your head will be crushed 
from the offspring of this woman. And the sad part is the plan also involved, and you will strike his heel. So there's going to be this, there's going to be victory, but there's going to be payment to this victory. So there's this amazing foreshadowing of what's going to happen with Christ, the Messiah. So that is one of the other ways that he shows from the creation, from the beginning, that he created, created us, he created us in his image, and we see the reflection of us in Christ in his image. The spirit was there, the word was there, and then here, here comes the, not the prophecy, but the foreshadowing and the justice of redemption. So this gets into the, the second way that God has showed his love for us before we ever even acknowledged him. The second way that God shows his love for us is that he calls us. He has a calling for our lives, and he calls us to himself. So Isaiah 43, verse 1, says this, This is what Yahweh says, He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you. So again, the creation comes first. And then he says, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. So in other words, he has called us by name, and we belong to him. So there's, again, this ownership, the same way that he says that I will be your God, he always wants to say, I will be their God and they will be my people. There's this relationship, this mutual love that he's, that he's striving for, um, and he's calling us by name. So the second thing that God does to show his love is that he, he calls us. And we see this in uh, Genesis chapter 12, again, staying with the narrative of scripture. In Genesis t- chapter 12, uh, we see the calling of Abram. So the first time that anyone is called in scripture is the forefather of the faith, right? Abraham, then Isaac, then Jacob. And God reaffirms his covenant, but he starts with Abraham. And in uh, Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, or actually 1 through 3, the Lord says to Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. Mm. And this is such an amazing extension of God's love because he calls Abram. Literally, Abram has done nothing. He has done nothing at this point. He, and, and yet God chooses him. God calls him out of his people, out of his land, and says, because I love you, I'm going to give you an inheritance. I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to bless you. And it has nothing to do with what Abraham has done or not done at this point. Yeah. So that's the first thing is we see God's promise that God calls us with a promise. Yeah. The next thing of Abraham's life is, is the covenant that, that God puts with him. And this is in, in Genesis chapter 15. Uh, that we see that. And we're going to start at verse 7 because I love how it starts. It's also, he also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Sheldings to give you this land to take possession of it. And it's, it's what a reflection of Exodus when, when God's speaking to, to the Israeli. He says, I am, I, am, I am the God, Yahweh, who brought you out of Egypt. Here he's, he's like, again, this is why I'm your God. Um, it's because, but Abram said, "O sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it?" So the Lord said to him, "Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young per- a pigeon." Abram brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite to each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. And then the birds uh, of prey came down to the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. So before we before I move on to the next one, the reason they do that. At those times when somebody made a covenant, they, they would 
do that, they would cut these pieces around and separate them, and the two people would walk between that, between the carcasses and everything else. And what they're saying is, if I break the covenant, let this happen to me too. Mm. Mm. Okay? So they're taking the responsibility that if they broke the covenant, then they're deserving of death. Mm. So, but what was the amazing part of this, and I'm going to skip this to 17, because he goes into something that's, uh, we're not there yet. It says, when the sun has set and darkness had fallen, a smoking firepot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. So this is an amazing part, what God is showing, that even though this was a covenant that he made with Ab- Abram, Abram did not have to walk through it. Only the Spirit of God went through that. Um. So God is the one who took on the responsibility of the breaking of the covenant. Mm. He's like, I'm not even going to put it on you. I'm going to go through it. And the, the, the amazing part is here we see the spirit of God now. Mm. First, it's God himself speaking to Abram. Now it's the spirit of God that is working in Abram's life and showing that I will do this covenant with you. And it's not on you. I love you so much. It's not even on you that if, so, if you break this covenant... It's still on me. And one one side note is that what we're walking through is that you can actually see all the persons in the Trinity in the way that God calls Abram. But in this specific story, you can actually see all three persons in this specific story because God the Father initiates this Mm -hmm. whole and, and he instructs Abram to do this. And then you see the, the smoking fire pot and the blazing torch, which the cloud and the fire are symbolic of the Holy Spirit consistently in Scripture. Mm-hmm. So you see the Holy Spirit going through. By the power of the Holy Spirit, this transaction is happening. But you see the pieces of the carcass, the physical representation of what would eventually happen to Christ because the consequence of this covenant being broken, again, would be borne by God alone and not by Abraham and not by his descendants. And so the the animal carcasses are also representative of how Christ would come and he would pay the penalty and he would die on behalf of our sins. So the the third part of, of Abraham's calling is in Genesis chapter 18. This would be verses 7 and 8. Uh, and then 17 and 19. Genesis 18, 18 verse, verse 7 and 8 and 17 to 19. So at this point, Abram is kind of chilling at his house and he sees three people walking and he acknowledges them, Lord. If, if I found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your sermon. Let me eat, let me feed, and let me feed you, serve you, and everything else. Verse 7, then he ran to the herd and selected a choice tender calf and gave it to the servant who heard to prepare it. He then brought some curds and milk and calf that he had been prepared and said these before them. While they ate, he stood near them under the tree. And first of all, it was just a beautiful thing that the Lord himself, Yahweh, came down to earth to eat with him, to break bread. And the only one that we know when God comes in a human form is Christ himself. So now we see the, the third part of Trinity, Jesus breaking bread mm. with Abram. Well, Abram's kind of standing next to it. I wish we could be like, oh yeah, and he broke bread to him and said, this is mine. No, but he didn't. <laughs> so we're not going to add anything to it. But 
he goes through it. He gives him the promise that that Sarah's going to birth a child and give him a child and all that stuff. And then verse 17, it says, Then the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham? He calls him Abraham at this point. What I'm about to do. Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the ways of the Yahweh by doing what is right and just so that Yahweh will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. So it's, it's just this amazing covenant, amazing promise, amazing. And this is, so the, the great thing about it is that, is that he says that there will be nations in coming from your name. And at this mo- moment, he also gives him verse 10. I'm sorry, I skipped it. He says, then, the, uh, then Yahweh said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have son. Right? He's 99. Sarah is 90 at this point. And he's given him that promise. The promise that I had with you that long ago when I told you oh, you would bless your nations through your seed, through your family. And he's like, but I don't have a family. He comes back. He goes, does a covenant again with him that I will bless you. But what family? I don't have a child. And here he is. He comes in person, breaks bread with him and prophesies and tells him, hey, next year, same time next year, you will have a child. This is, he's talking about Isaac. And again, he talks about through his children and his household. I will bring that promise to you. So you see this amazing love that God is just walking through in, in the God, the Father, the Spirit, and now the Son being with them as one. The same promise. Nothing has changed. Amen. So the third way that God shows his love for us, that he took the initiative, is that he cares for us. He cares for us. So first he created us, then he calls us. The third thing that he does is he shows that he cares for us. So we're going to look at Exodus chapter 3. And again, because this theme does run throughout, it's not the main point of our message, but we do just want to highlight In this text of the burning bush, you do see, it says there um, in the beginning of Genesis, it says the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within the bush. So the the key here is that there's throughout the Old Testament, there's times when angels appear and it'll say an angel of the Lord. And usually when people see an angel of the Lord, they're terrified and they fall down like one who is dead. But when it says the angel of the Lord, the word angel just means messenger. So it's a person who's coming to bring the message of God. And there's a distinction that when it says the angel of Yahweh, that we're actually, many theologians have said that that is actually a prefigurement of Christ before his incarnation. So what we're seeing here is that he, he sees someone in human likeness. He doesn't see an angel with foreheads and wheels and eyes all over. He sees someone who looks like <laughs> a, son of, a son of man, right? And he appears in the bush. So you see, and then you see the flames of fire that did not burn up. Again, the flames representing the all-consuming fire of the Holy Spirit. And then you hear the message, which originates from God the Father, calling him Moses. But the main point that we want to draw from this text, again, is that while God is there fully present in these important moments, he cares for you. And so it says here in verse 7, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land flowing with milk and honey. 
and it's the home of all these people. Now the cry of the Israelites has reached me. I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. So we see here that God hears your cries. He doesn't just hear the Israelites cry. He, he cares enough for you that he sees your prayers. He sees the longings of your heart. He is concerned about the, the, the weight, that, the suffering that you're going through. And he, he acts. He doesn't just listen and say, oh, you know, it's okay. I feel so bad for you. He, he takes his mighty hand and he shows that he cares for you and he acts on your behalf. He intervenes in your situation. So whatever it is that you're suffering and however you've been crying out to the Lord today, just know that he not only hears you, but he is concerned. I mean, I love that. The God of the universe who made everything, who sits high and mighty above all things, is concerned about you. When there's 8 billion people on the planet, however many more have lived and walked the face of the earth, yet he calls you by name and he cares enough to be concerned about your circumstances. No matter how big or how small they are, they're meaningful to God. And in uh, Psalm 102, Sorry. did you want to say can, something? Can I just, just because it's so powerful, I skipped it, but I, now I feel bad because we brought it up and I totally forgot. This is how much God loves and has a plan for us. In Genesis chapter 15, when God does this covenant uh, with with uh, Abram when he splits the cows and everything else, he reminds, he tells them and prophesies of what's going to happen. says in verse 12, as the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Yahweh said to him, know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated 400 years but will punish the nations they serve as slaves, and afterwards they will come out with great possession. So this is, again, in Genesis chapter 15, he's talking about how the people of Israel is going to be in Egypt for 400 years, and they will be enslaved, because it says that they will will serve as slaves. And then it says, and afterwards they will come out with great possession. And I don't know if you guys remember in Exodus, when they're leaving, all the Egyptians just like start giving them stuff, just please get out. Here's our silver, here's our gold. So they're leaving richer than the way they came in. But again, this is, God loved us so much. He knew this was going to happen, but he prepared a way how, it's, how he's going to bring them out. Yeah. So sorry, go ahead. Psalm 102, it's, it, was, it was a good psalm. So Psalm 103, I'm psalm 103 just says this. It's just a, a final note on this one section on how he cares for us. Psalm 103, verse uh, 6 through 8, it says, The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, which is what we just talked about, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. So the reason that God does all of this is because of his great love for us. No other reason than that. We can come up with all these things like, why does God allow all these bad things to happen? He, he, these bad things will come. Suffering will come. In this world, we will have trials, but we should take heart, right? Because he's overcome the world. He always has a plan. He cares for you. He's concerned about you. And he's already made a way through it. So the next, um, the next thing that God shows his care for us is that he gives us consequences. This is one that's, this one's hard, right? We don't like this one. We don't like this one. Oh, you want me to <laughs> Yeah, you're, you're going with that one. You're starting <laughs> okay. off. You're starting okay. off. Go ahead. So we're going to go to this favorite Favorite verse verse. for so many people, Jeremiah 29, but we're going to start with verse 10. 
not 11. Everyone knows verse 11, but nobody talks about verse 10. So it says, so kind of setting the backdrop to this, God delivers them from Egypt, right? And he takes them through the wilderness. He establishes them in the, in the land of Israel, the land flowing with milk and honey. He pushes out all of their enemies, establishes them as a nation. And you see this pattern over and over and over again that God loves them and is compassionate and he delivers them. And they, they go out and they commit idolatry and they have injustice and they trample on the poor and they do all these things, completely ignoring his law. So then someone comes in to oppress them and they cry out to God and they're like, God, save us. And so they, so he has compassion on them and he delivers them again. And it's just this pattern of they cry out to God, he saves them. Then they forget and they turn their back on him until they have another problem. Then they cry out to him again. And, and to be honest, this is what so many of us do, right? We cry out to God when things are hard. And then when things are good, we forget the one who, who led us through it. So this happened for so many times. And again, God prophesied that this would happen and he says if you don't he says this back in exodus even he says if you don't follow my covenant if you don't follow my commands you will eventually be pushed out of the land Mm -hmm. and you will go into exile and when you get to jeremiah 29 that's where they are they're at the point where they're going to go into exile and god kind of says remember this is what i told you was going to happen and he says starting in verse 10 this is what yahweh says when 70 years are completed for babylon I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. So again, we, before we get to verse 11, we have to understand that there's still a consequence. God loves you, but because of the disobedience, there's still a consequence. He doesn't say, well, because I love you, forget what I told you about the exile thing. We're just going to wash that win. We're just going to move forward like nothing ever happened. He says that you're going to have to complete seven years of exile. You're, you're going to have the weight of the choices that you have made. And he says, but again, take heart that there's a story beyond that, that, that the exile is not the end of you, that I have a plan for you beyond the exile. And it helps you to get through the exile. It helps you to get through that suffering experience, that disciplining experience, because you know that that's not the end. And he says in verse 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. So we love to rush ahead to verse 11 that God has these plans to prosper us and bless us and not to harm us. But the reason God had to say that was because they were going to be harmed and they were going to suffer. And and he's just saying, this is not the end of the story. Like this is a temporary disciplining. This is a temporary punishment, but eventually I will restore you. And so this is why, you know, sometimes we say, well, why when I accept Christ and God forgives me of my sin, why don't we just immediately get taken up into heaven? And God is like, no, because there's a disciplining process. Like I forgive you and I love you, but I still need to sanctify you and refine you. There's a cleansing process that has to happen. Like I'm not done with you. So eventually you will have that reunion. Eventually he will make all things new. But in the meantime, we have to journey through this world, through this life and all of the hardship that will come uh, before we see that restoration process. So we can't rush ahead to verse 11 without owning verse 10. And I, I love that this section finishes out with this, that he says, you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. Remember, this takes us back to the original covenant promise, the original Shema, where God says to love him with all of your heart. So he's, the, he's consistent from the beginning to the end. And he says the goal of this disciplining is that we would turn to him with all of our heart. 
Not that we would be blindly obedient, not that we would do sacrifices and offerings, but that we would turn to him with our hearts, that we would give him the love that he is worthy of. Hallelujah. Amen. 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 That, that's the hard part. Though. Some of this plan that, that is Jeremiah twenty nine eleven is captivity, is it's slavery. It's, it's, it's a lot of things. And uh, Lamentation 3.22 speaks on it. It says, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassion never fails. So there's a, there, we need to have peace that we're not going to be totally consumed because he loved us. There's compassion. So if, when, he, when you feel like God is just absolutely disciplining you, it's not going to be the end. He still loves you. There's still compassion. He's still going to bring you out. Even though all the hope is lost, he's still there for you. So even though he has to <laughs> pop out, <laughs> you're not going to die from it. He still loves you. You're not going to be consumed. You're not going to be consumed. So when the times comes when you're crying out to God and be like, God, enough. I can't. That's it. No more. He said, I, I, I know where I can press, how hard I can press. Just know that I'm going to bring you back. Hallelujah. So Hebrews chapter 12 goes so far as to say this. This is Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse 5. I'm, I'm not sure. I'll just kind of read it and see where we should end. So Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5 says, You have forgotten the word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. And it says this. This is actually quoting from Proverbs chapter 3. It says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. Do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines those he loves. <laughs> so we would actually be in more trouble if God just let us go and left us to our own he loves ways. He yeah. loves us so much. He loves us enough to discipline us. And it says he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes strict discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Yeah. We have all had human fathers who discipline us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit? I know there's a question on that one. First. But how much more should we submit to the father of our spirits and live? So it says our fathers discipline us for a little while as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. So again, mm. the discipline that God allows us to go through is to purify us and make us holy. It's not just to punish, you know, to punish us, but it's to, to sharpen us and make us more like the image of his son, to make us more like Christ. So we have to keep that in mind that as we go through this life and as we face hardship and as we even face the Lord's rebuke, that... We should, instead of saying, Lord, why do you allow me to suffer? We should just marvel at the fact that he doesn't wipe us out completely. Mm-hmm. Um, again, as, as we are reading in Lamentations, that because of his love, we are not consumed, yeah. which is what we actually deserve. But instead, because of his love, he takes the time to discipline us and guide us in the way that we should go. Amen. Amen. So the next, next, next thing that what, how God showed us our love is through Christ, through Christ Jesus. And we see that in John three sixteen. There's many verses about how, because of Christ, we see God's love. But this is one 
it's 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 one that people have heard it, but it's it's such a powerful verse. It's you really don't have to say too much about it. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So God had this plan that he does not want anyone to perish. And the way that's going to happen is that he gave up his one and only son, Jesus Christ. That is the love. He loved us so much. It's that, it's that sacrifice. It's that giving. He chose to do that first. He had it in Genesis chapter 3. We read, uh, we read about that, hey, we, 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 there's going to be a problem. We will defeat the serpent, but he's also, the serpent is going to still bite the heel. So I know what's going to happen. When I gave up my son, when I sent my son down to earth, I know what's going to happen to him. And that's a hard, it's a hard part. It's a hard truth. And as Jesus speaking those words, he knows what's happening at the end. But he's still reminded that this is love. This is how God love, loves the people. And because of that great love, we see in Romans 8, Romans 8, 37, that we can say this. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And there's this beautiful verse that says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And, and oftentimes when people quote this verse, I've heard it too, that it'll say nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. And the verse is actually from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. So he shows his love for us in Christ. But it's actually the love of God that's shining through. So nothing can separate us from the love of God, meaning the whole of who God is. Not just Jesus. Jesus is not the only one who loved you. God the Father loves you. The Holy Spirit comes to be one with you. So it's God as a whole. Um, Nothing can separate us from the love of God, from his presence that's in our lives, which is demonstrated by what Christ did through the cross. Yeah. And then Romans chapter 5 keeps on speaking on that. Chapter 5, verse 8 it says, but God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Again, in Romans 5, 8. And it pushes through even in Romans chapter 5, verse 5. It talks even more about this hope. It says, and hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. So again, we've seen this powerful trinity of Christ dying on the cross, God blessing us with the Holy Spirit, sealing us, sealing us with his stamp of, of, of righteousness and of approval by having that Holy Spirit in us. That's the love that, again, he's pouring on, on to us. The, Holy, the gift of the Holy Spirit is, is a love offering. The, the death of Christ on the cross is a love offering that God has given us over and over again. So God has shown us love through all these steps, through, through his Son and through the Spirit. So the next way, which is the sixth way that God shows his love for us, is that he chose us. He chose us. Um, we did not choose him, but he chose us, right? The scripture tells us that. Uh, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, it says this, For he chose us in him, this is amazing, before the creation of the world, to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as sons 
through Christ Jesus in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. So God, it, it makes it very clear in this verse that it was in love. It was out of love that God chose us. Um, so we didn't approach him first, but he chose us. And he had this plan before all of these things take place. He had this plan before the creation of the world. In fact, his motivation in the creation of the world was motivated by love. Not because God was needy and needed our love for him. In the Godhead between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they had a perfect, uh, a perfect relationship with love before we ever came along. But out of the love that they had, there's an outflowing that they want to share that love. And so before the creation of the world, God chose us and he created us and he did all of these things to show us his love that we could become children of God. Yeah, and just kind of put a point out on that one, the importance of the Trinity and that portion that our God is not just a singular God and he created us so he could be loved by, by us. Mm. He had the spirit and the son with him and they loved one another. There was a relationship there that he didn't need nobody else. Mm. He was not a egoistic God that needed something. He had all he had. He needed. There, there was all that he needed. Yeah, For, it wasn't to show off his power. It wasn't yeah. to show, it was because of his great love. Yeah. First John chapter 3 keeps speaking about this love and about this choosing, cho- being chosen by us. He says, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us mm-hmm. that we should be called children of God. Mm-hmm. Again, it's it's this separ- it's just taking us on as him being our father, as our heavenly father. It's this love that only comes from him and him alone. And again, we did nothing. We did nothing. He called us to be his children of God. He chose us to be his 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 child. And it's a beautiful, wonderful, and loving thing. That was First John three. One. First John 3, 1. So the last way that God shows his, his love and takes the initiative in this relationship is that he cleanse, cleanses and clothes us. Mm. So there's this beautiful picture in Isaiah 61.10. Isaiah 61.10 says, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God. For he has clothed me with garments of salvation mm. and arrayed me in a robe of righteousness as a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest, as a bride adorns herself with jewels. So there's this beautiful imagery that not only has God created you, not only has he called you, not only has he chosen you and all of these things, but he, his, he lavishes his love on us to the point that he clothes us with garments of salvation. There's this, this picture of royalty that he lavishes on us beyond what we could ever ask or imagine. And he, he clothes us with garments of salvation and gives us a robe of righteousness as a bridegroom adorns his head, as a bride adorns herself with jewels. So there's just this extravagance that happens. And it's this beautiful picture that God shows his love from beginning to the end, beginning with the creation where he had this in his plan from before the story even begins. Mm. He knew what he was going to do. And it ends with this beautiful imagery of the wedding feast and the culmination of God's entire story, which is a story of how much he loved us and he wants us to love him as our god as our only god Mm -hmm. so the lord is god and the lord is one he is the only one for us amen amen it continues in second corinthians chapter 5 17 says therefore if anyone is in christ he's a new creation the old has gone the new has come all this is from god 
who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And 21, verse 21, same chapter says, God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He has cleansed us, he has closed us in righteousness so we can come before God the Father. Because he wants to have that relationship because he loves us so. Mm-hmm. So the final, the final verse that we see in this, in this part of how, how God ultimately does this, he, he not only does this for his own glory, but he actually glorifies us as well. So undeserved. But we see in Ephesians chapter 2, and this is where we'll finish. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. Uh, I'm going to read through verse 6. It mm-hmm. says, Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions, for it is by grace you have been saved. And then it says, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Is this, again, this imagery that not only does he cleanse us and adorn us and clothe us in righteousness, but he actually elevates us to this place. Christ Jesus is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And this imagery is saying that we also get to be seated on, on these thrones with Christ, that we get to reign with him, that we get to rule with him. And his love is that extravagant. It is that unconditional, that, that he would not only give us salvation, that he would not only give us forgiveness, but that he would elevate us to this place of, of splendor and, um, and to share in his glory, that he, he wants us to be able to enjoy the fullness of who he is. Amen. It's all by his love and not by anything that we do. Before we've done anything. He's done all this. Amen. Amen. Thank you for spending time with us during this episode. We pray that this teaching blessed you and brought you closer to understanding God. If you'd like to contact us, please email us at corechurch242 at gmail.com. Until next time, know you are loved and covered in prayer.